Gollum, answered Frodo. Or at least so I guess. Ah, said Aragorn. So you know about our little footpad, do you? He padded after us all through Moria and right down to Nimrodal. Since we took to the boats, he has been lying on a log and paddling with his hands and feet. I've tried to catch him once or twice at night, but he's slyer than a fox and as slippery as a fish. I hope the river voyage would beat him, but he's too clever a waterman. The Fellowship of the Ring, the Great River. Megavan and Melon, and welcome back to Interesting Tales from Tolkien, a Podmoot. I'm Mel. And I'm Kristen. And this week we are covering Fellowship of the Ring, the Great River. So, Mel, did we get a guest 30-second recapper this week? We did. My friend John Griffith has sent us in his 30-second recap of Book 1. Welcome to Middle-earth, where the evil wizard Gandalf is plotting to destroy the realms of men to impose a puppet regime serving the murderous elves and their cruel sky gods. Having enthralled the exploitative aristocratic heirs of the Shire with a ring of power, Gandalf joins them up with the tame exiled Shire of the broken northern kingdom and sends them to Rivendell, an elvish enclave in the north suspiciously positioned in the midst of deserted lands still glittered with the graves of humans who worshipped gods the elves didn't like. Along the way, they desecrate the graves of the murdered men of the north. In Rivendell, they hope to meet Elrond, the true high king of the Noldor elves, who has been playing the murderous politics of a kind well by not formally claiming the title. Elrond has been stringing along generations of puppet members that promised the hand of his daughter if they only claim the crown of Gondor for his ends. Noldor elf Glorfindel, who most likely made sure all the humans in the region would only be found in graves, meets up with the party and makes sure they obey the vengeful spirits of the three kingdoms of men. Parasitic aristocrats are being fearfully driven into the well-planned embrace of the scheming elves. Oh my gravy, Mel. That was hilarious. What a totally different reading of these chapters than you and I have been doing. Parasitic elves. I loved it. (laughs) That's very much John. I think I could definitely get him on, especially when we do the Silmarillion and really dive into the elves and their politics. I can't wait. And make sure that you look down in the show notes and check out John's podcast. All the information will be down there. Okay, Mel. Here's your 30 seconds to catch us up from where John left off to where I'm about to start. Three, two, one. Frodo wakes up in Rivendell, you know, run by the parasitic Noldoric elves, whatever, and he uh, has been saved by Elrond. And Elrond calls a council of men, elves, dwarves, and all races of good, and they come up with this idea to send a team out to Mordor. Frodo, of course, becomes part of this team. There is none of them, and they have walked a really long way. They've gone through the mines of Moria, where Gandalf unfortunately died, and uh, now they've been staying in Lothlorien, where they've been taken care of really, really well, but now they've had to leave Lorien, and they are on boats. Uh, Not my best, but hey, we've made it. (laughs) We are on the boats. Sam doesn't like the boats. Sam doesn't really like much of anything. (laughs) Poor Sam. Sam is a bit fussy, isn't he? Not one to leave home, and yet he is halfway across the world. But also still in line with the Shire, we find out in this chapter. Kristen, can you take 30 seconds to tell our audience what happened? The company travels through changing landscapes down the Anduin. Sam dreams of a log with eyes he thinks is Gollum, and later confirms this with Frodo and Aragorn. On night number eight, they reach the rapids too soon, try to turn back, and are attacked by orcs and a huge black bird-looking thing that Legolas shoots down out of the sky. 
It is too dangerous on the river, so they carry the boats and provisions on the portageway to the Pillars of the Kings. They sail through the dark chasm on Raros and must now choose east or west. Good work. Just under the buzzer. (laughs) Well, we don't actually meet any new characters this week, but we did see this black bird thing that I do hope we find out. It is clearly a creature of darkness, and Frodo is not about how he feels when that thing is flying overhead. But Legolas manages to shoot it out of the sky. So I think we're good. Crisis averted. So at the end of the previous chapter, Frodo had fallen asleep in the boat. And now he's roused by Sam. And they have made camp that night along the west bank of the Anduin. And this is basically how they spend the next few days sailing along and then making camp and hiding because they're not quite sure what else has been going on in Middle Earth. But there is this line that Aragorn just lets them drift and they don't paddle very much, but Aragorn is still afraid that the Dark Lord was not idle while they were recuperating and rejuvenating themselves in Lorien. Yeah, so he's just letting them go along, but I think he's he's probably right that they just need to keep moving. But fortunately, they don't see any sign of the enemy as they first start traveling. And we get these beautiful descriptions of the lands on either side of the river. So we have the brown lands on one side, which is almost like a wasteland where nothing grows, expanding out from southern Mirkwood. But then on the other side, we have all these trees and they start to see Rohan later on. And they now come across a big flock of swans, black swans. And that's the first sign of anything else even moving that they'd seen since they started this river trip. And Frodo is saying how he always thought that once you got south, it would be warm and merry until winter is left behind entirely. And we find out that they're actually not that far south. They are only 60 leagues south of the most southern part of the Shire because they've just been going east so far and haven't really deviated south that much. Right. And Sam is looking around and he notices the desolation and devastation on the opposite bank. And even Strider can't talk about why it is that way. Evil. Evil. That sounded like a yawn. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, I was trying to do an evil laugh, but clearly sound effects are not in my purview. (laughs) As they're traveling, we get an insight into each of the members of the company. So Legolas is running under the stars on a summer night amid Beechwood. Gimli is fingering gold in his mind, wondering what will be fit to rot into the housing of the lady's gift. Merry and Pippin are starting to be a bit ill at ease because Boromir now mutters to himself and bites his nails and is being just a bit weird. And he does this like dive bomb thing where he will all of a sudden paddle up their boat 
up to Aragorn's boat, which just sounded hilarious to me. It's like that guy in the car on the road trip with you who like you just one time he passes you and the next time you pass him, except he's got this gleam in his eye. And Pippin was in the bow looking back and he like he was they were all just like, what is going on here? Yeah, he he is not okay with this. (laughs) But whatever Boromir sends his boat forward, he's just staring at Frodo. That is really creepy. Mm. But hey, at least on Sam's part, he's decided boats aren't as dangerous as he was brought up to believe, but they are far more uncomfortable than he could ever imagine. And he's not even allowed to paddle when the others are. <laughs> Poor Sam. At least not right now. Later on in the chapter, he gets paddled. <laughs> no wonder he's not comfortable. He just has to sit there and stare at the water and the two sides of the river slowly passing by. And he starts to doze off during these times. And on the fourth day, as he's dozing off, he sees something a little strange. I told you Gollum was following them. You did tell me. And sure enough, we find out that Sam has this sort of daydream where he sees a log with eyes. But then it's not just a log because it has paddle feet. Yep, and it's been catching up to Gimli and Legolas's boat. So when he tells Frodo... Frodo says, well, ordinarily I would not think anything of it, but I've seen these eyes before and I've heard those padded feet before. So I think you're right that it is Gollum. Yes, and Frodo believes that Gollum has been following them since Moria and he details each time he believes that he has seen Gollum or heard Gollum following them. And he tells Sam that he's going to go back to sleep, but if Sam has any other sights or anything else that he sees, it's out of the ordinary to wake him up. And sure enough, in the middle of the night, Sam wakes him again and says, I'm just so sorry, but there's a lot of such queer sounds by a river at night. And Frodo draws his weapon, which then wakes up Aragorn. And Aragorn's like, oh, so you finally saw him. Yeah, I've been trying to catch him, but he's just out of my grip all the time. And I love this thing where he says, I wish I could lay my hands on the wretch. We might make him useful. So I started thinking about why would Gollum be useful except as some sort of prisoner, like they would exchange him or they would pump him for information, interrogate him or something. But he is dangerous out and about and free, not only that he might try to kill one of them, but that he's going to be able to go and tell the enemy where they are. I actually don't think Gollum is worth anything in a hostage situation. I think his information is the most valuable because I don't see Sauron actually valuing him enough to exchange him for anything. Absolutely not, yeah. He's just useful because he also wants the ring, as far as we can tell. He's been looking for the ring and Bilbo ever since they were stolen from him. So I would think Aragorn would be hoping that he could give information that Gollum obviously knows lands and stuff, and that maybe that's what would be useful to Aragorn. I can't wait to see this scene in the movie, to see that face and that that sing and... And then to see him like dive in the water. I I cannot wait to see what this looks like. So after that, though, Gollum doesn't come back the rest of the night. And they don't even see him the next bit that they're traveling because he's clearly hiding 
better than he has been and not trying to get as close. So Aragorn starts to insist that they paddle for longer spells and I think that's obviously trying to lose Gollum. As he said, that's their only hope because he can't catch him. But finally, the lands around them begin to change. Banks begin to rise and become stony on one side and there's crumbling cliffs and that is Emmemule. And when they make camp, Aragorn keeps a watch for Gollum because he's wondering what mischief or news of their voyage that is moving throughout the wilderness because of him. Legolas points out a hunting eagle and it's far away from the mountains. So clearly that's foreboding that this eagle is hunting the fellowship. And sure enough, as they're going down the river and paddling, it turns out they've actually made more progress even than Aragorn had realized. And they are too close to the rapids which would not be safe for them to try to ford at night. So they try to turn back and they are attacked by a group of orcs, the stormtroopers of Middle-earth who can barely hit anything. Yep, you always need a mass infantry force that are just useless. (laughs) So they do manage to get Frodo between the shoulders. They send an arrow through Aragorn's hood and a third in the gunwale, the second boat close to Mary's hand. But that's all the damage they're able to do. But they are keeping the party from getting too far back upstream. And then comes the big black thing. So Legolas lays down his paddle and takes up his bow, the one gifted from Lothlorien. And he gets onto the shore and lines himself up with an arrow and shoots up into the sky. Across the water, there were shrill cries, but nothing could be seen. So it doesn't say what this thing is, but it does describe how it makes Frodo feel. Frodo felt a sudden chill running through him and clutching at his heart. There was a deadly cold, like the memory of an old wound in his shoulder. And so I'm guessing that's the shoulder where Elrond dug the piece of the knife out. Do we ever find out what this thing was? Maybe. So I read the wrong part earlier. Legolas loosens his arrow and it says, There was a harsh croaking scream as it fell out of the air, vanishing down into the gloom of the eastern shore. And the sky was clear again. And not only does Legolas vanquish whatever this thing is in the sky... But that causes the orc army to retreat. They're without the leadership of this dark thing in the sky. They aren't able to keep attacking. And Aragorn is then able to lead the fellowship to a shore for the night. And they start trying to figure out what it was and... Gimli said it reminded him too much of the Balrog, and Frodo's like, it was not a Balrog. It was something colder. I think it was blank. Thank you, Frodo. Can't you just speculate what you think it was for the rest of us? Yep, and then Boromir kind of goes, he goes, you thought it was what? And Frodo goes, I will not say. So then Sam and Frodo get into a conversation about time and how they seem to have spent a whole month 
in Lorien, but it didn't feel like that long and they didn't even see the moon while they were there. So maybe time passes at a different rate when they're there. And Legolas confirms that all things change and grow, but time does not tarry ever. And I I love this line where the elves just experience the passage of time differently and certainly in this land, but it never goes slowly. I like, he says, swift because they themselves change little and all else fleets by. It is a grief of them. Slow because they need not count the running years, not for themselves. The passing seasons are but ripples ever repeated in a long, long stream. Yet beneath the sun, all things must wear to the end, to an end at last. Mm. I love lines like that. And then Frodo commits a big faux pas because he says that the wearing of time is slow in Lorien. The power of the lady is on it. Rich are the hours, though short they seem, in Karas Galathon. And then he says this, stupid Frodo, where Galadriel wields the elven ring. Seriously, are you not ever going to learn that there are certain things that you really shouldn't say? And Aragorn totally calls him on it. Yep, speak no more of it. That should not have been said outside of Lorien, not even to me, said Aragorn. Speak no more of it. And then quickly keep talking about time. Like, yes, time. (laughs) So I have to wonder then, was Gollum close enough to overhear that? Was another messenger of the enemy close enough to hear that? Was Boromir, who seems weirded out and strangely motivated by the rings like did that register with him that is a breadcrumb i didn't want to find and you dread to think of what consequences it may have frodo just needs to learn to zip so i also wondered if that was the one ring just prompting him i mean it doesn't say anything like that but we've seen before that the one ring can influence him to do things just sort of semi-consciously or unconsciously and possibly i did not want to read that so the night passes and when they wake up in the dawn the river is encased in fog and they have to decide what to do next because the night before they've been caught in the rapids and Boromir says that he doesn't see why they should pass the rapids or follow the river any further. They can either abandon the boats and strike westward and southward until they reach the place called the Entwash and then cross over into Gondor. And Aragorn goes, we can if we are making for Minas Tirith, but that hasn't been agreed to. And as such, a course may be more perilous than it sounds. And he starts talking about the lands over that way and how they could be dangerous. And Boromir begins to debate him, saying that the eastern bank is entirely held by the enemy. And even if we get to the Argonath and get to that place unmolested, what do we do then? Do we leap down the falls or do we land in the marshes? What What's your plan, Aragorn? And it turns out the plan is to carry the boats for a while So they don't have to have the danger of the rapids. And then once they're past the rapids, then they will put the boats back in the water. And I love this. Boromir's like, that would not be easy, even if we were all men. And it's a power struggle between 
Boromir and Aragorn. And here I think we're seeing the lasting effects of losing Gandalf because Aragorn and Boromir see themselves as equals. And so when the two of them are going at it, it really is then about how the rest of the fellowship is going to side. And I love Gimli's response too. Aye, we will. The legs of men will lag on a rough road while a dwarf goes on. Be the burden twice his own <laughs> weight, Master Boromir. <laughs> I love Gimli so much. And I think that's a good thing to point out because when we think about it, like births and heritages, so Boromir is the son of the man who now rules over Gondor. He is not a prince or anything, but his father and his ancestors have ruled over Gondor because there hasn't been a king. And then there's Aragorn, who is the rightful king, who's been absent for many generations. And it is this interesting power struggle where it's almost like, well, you weren't here. You don't know my lands. You don't know my people. Boromir is an advocate of his people and loves them dearly. And I can see how he would be like, what does this Northman know of us? Who does he think he is just because he's got a fancy sword and a bloodline like the fancy sword would be really, really helpful in battle, but he still doesn't know us. He He's from the north. What's he know? Yeah, it's very hard to be a leader if the people who are supposed to be following you have too many questions. Then, they, you know, there starts to be trouble in the ranks. Not to mention, obviously, their plans have now gone astray because the plan was Boromir and Aragorn tag along until a convenient time for them to move on to go to Minas Tirith. Well, now that there's no Gandalf, Aragorn has to think about Frodo and what's going to happen to the quest. Well, Boromir's main motive remains Minas Tirith and Gondor and his people. So it turns out that these boats are made of some unknown elvish wood, but they are incredibly sturdy, but also incredibly light. And even Marion Pippin could carry one by themselves uh, or well, together. I mean, not by themselves. And the only thing they really need Aragorn and Boromir to do is get them out of the water and onto the land. And so they take the boats and everybody else carries all of the provisions and their gear and they start walking along the portage way. Yep. So they make a couple of trips carrying boats and luggage. And soon enough, though, they're back at the water. So they decide to rest and get as much sleep as they can because now they have to journey by day because they have to be able to see where the path is. Unlike the river where they can just float along and let the river carry them, now they actually have to make sure that they're going the right way. Yep. So they rest for the night. It's mostly uneventful. There's a bit of drizzle. And then they get back in their boats and start forward again. And they come to the Agonath which Aragorn declares, calling them the Pillar of Kings. Okay, this is such a cool image. So cool. And I, I know I've seen it on the internet, the stone kings with their hands up. But wow, how cool is this? I love it. And as we look upon it, Aragorn says that he has desired to come here for so long because on either side are Isildur and Anarion, the sons of Elendil. And he just wants to see this, that his forefathers, his ancestors. Sam is not about it, though. He is really scared. And as he's expressing that he doesn't even want to go into the river again, a strange voice behind him says, fear not. 
and Frodo turns and sees Strider, but not Strider, because the weather-worn ranger was no longer there. In the stern sat Aragorn, son of Arathorn, proud and erect, guiding the boat with skillful strokes. And I love this image of Aragorn really feeling the power of his birthright. And we've heard over the last several chapters that he's looking a little bit worse for the wear. But now, clearly, he's feeling that the power of this location and of the statues and of the connection to his lineage. And he looks like a king now. Yep. And this is a really hard moment for him because he says, Would that Gandalf were here, how my heart yearns for Minas Arnor and the walls of my own city, but whither now shall I go? He's having that conflict of, do I travel to Gondor now and see the lands of my ancestors and fight for my own people, or do I stay with Frodo and finish this quest with him? So they go into the chasm and are overwhelmed by the sound of the rushing water and the echoing stone, but pretty soon Frodo can see the gap of light at the end, and suddenly then they come out into the afternoon. And again, this beautiful description of the new lands. And Aragorn says, Behold, Tol Brandir, and then describes what they're seeing. And they've they've made it. Yep. They come to the shore and start to set up their camp and says the tenth day of their journey was over. Wilderland was behind them. They could go no further without choice. Between the east way and the west, the last stage of the quest was before them. Hey everyone, have you remembered to follow us on our social media? We are on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Podmoot. You can also check down below for a link to our Discord. Thank you for subscribing and sharing the podcast with your friends. Thanks y'all. Kristen, who's your character of the week? Well, I think it has to be Aragorn because Aragorn's leading them. Aragorn is confirming that, yeah, it really is Gollum. And and I've been trying to catch him since I knew he was there. He's making sure everybody knows what to do. And even though Boromir is getting even more ornery in every chapter, Aragorn is the one who is making sure they're safe, finding the paths. He made sure they didn't go into the rapids too soon. He's finding where they're going to make camp. And now he's approaching his birthright. So I I don't know how it can be anyone else. Legolas. I'm giving it to Legolas. He shot the mysterious creature out of the sky and probably saved them. Yeah, good point. I think that if that creature, whatever it is, had stuck around, that they wouldn't be in a very good place. Are you ready for prediction versus fiction? Dun, dun, dun. So last week you predicted they are going to be on the river. (laughs) There is going to be a power struggle with what direction to take and they will decide to head to Minas Tirith. However, they will lose supplies in a and have to fight the river. Legolas and Gimli are going to be split from the others and be sent towards the marshes. We don't know what will happen to them for a long time. The chapter will be all about the difficulty of the river. I'll give you that. 
and with Legolas and Gimli being swept away, there will be some mention of evil spies, in brackets, birds. Well, there's definitely mention of evil creatures and potential spies. Yeah, I get that one too. (laughs) So, but so far for that chapter, the fellowship stuck together. However, do you want to know the title of our next chapter? Sure. The Breaking of the Fellowship. Well, clearly we are splitting the party. I've been looking for this for a long time now. Well, you know what you need to do? You need to tell us how they're going to split, what teams they're going to split into. I think I've been saying this for a while. but I, I do think that, I mean, Boromir's going to Minas Tirith, duh. I think everything I predicted last time about Legolas and Gimli being split off, like, I think that's ha- I think that's happening. Um, whether it's because of an accident or, but I, I think they're going to Mirkwood. And I think the hobbits and Aragorn are going east, continuing down the river east to Mount Doom. So I, I think it's the same stuff that I said for the last chapter. It's just going to happen now. And I guess, I don't know. I really want Aragorn to be able to connect to his people. Like maybe he takes them there for a bit and then they cross the river and go into Mordor that way. Like maybe they go to Gondor first and then they go. Yeah, that's what I think Legolas and Gimli are doing the buddy cup show somewhere else though. Yep. So Aragorn and Boromir will stick with the hobbits. Well, I think it's more that Aragorn and the Hobbits will stick with Boromir until they get to Minas Tirith, and then they're going to leave Boromir and Minas Tirith, and Aragorn and the Hobbits are going to cross the river and go into Mordor at the start of the next book. Just do you want to take a quick look at your map and see where they are compared to Minas Tirith? Because they're a very long way away from it. I just want to point out, just Minas Tirith is still a far way away, and they've been just sort of... uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Making small moves throughout the journey. So are we predicting there'll be a time skip between the books? Now that I don't know. We can talk about, I I would rather talk about that at the end of the next chapter when we finish this book. But I I think here, um, I mean, they've made it through the falls. They're at the falls. They're they're on the top. Yeah. Right. But I think they're... I think they're I think they're going to go to Minas Tirith the the hobbits and the men but Legolas and Gimli are going to be pulled away back to Mirkwood. Or maybe maybe they all go to Minas Tirith and then they split. I I really don't know. Like I I do see what you're talking about about how far it is. So I'm just giving you food for thought. I'm not saying you're wrong or anything, but they are well below southern Mirkwood. And Legolas's people are in North Mirkwood, so it's a long journey back. Right. I still think that's what's happening. So do you think the river's going to split them and then they'll have to journey backwards? Because on Quadrant 4, we can see the very tip of Mirkwood falls into Quadrant 4, and they're a good couple of thumbs down from that at the moment. It's not super clear that the river splits. Like, I have to say that on the map. Hang on, let me look. I'm looking at quadrant two, where they came from, Lorien. North Undeep, south Undeep. Now they've gone through the passageway and into the falls. 
it's still like to me it still looks like it's one river like I don't see the split there is a split far far further south before you get to Ministereth where it but it comes back around it meets itself again I think it's just an aisle in the middle of the river that makes the river split there because into the Anduin feeds a lot of other rivers and we can see them coming out of Rohan and they feed into the Anduin. Yeah, I still think it took them 10 days to get from Lorien to the falls. So I think we are still maybe four or five days on the river to Minas Tirith. Is that a good guess? Mm. And maybe not even Depends how fast the river is. Yeah, true. How, how do we think this split is going to occur? Are we sticking with Legolas and Gimli, a split by the river, or that they say, hey, we've been doing some thinking and we need to do this? I think there are going to be some conversations about all of this. And I, I think that's actually going to be the majority of this next chapter is these conversations. And Aragorn's going to think out loud a lot. And then Legolas and Gimli are going to think out loud as well and about all the different things that need to happen. And, you know, Boromir's continuing to talk about the reason he wants to go home is not just to go home, but he wants to defend this part of Middle Earth and keep the river open for passage. And then I also see then him raising an army of men to go back west and towards Rohan, and then ultimately to Isengard later. Like, that's what I... And then the the ring continuing to walk east. But I don't have any more specific thoughts about how. They, they're going to get more information when they reach Minas Tirith. They're going to get more information about what's to happen. And I think maybe that's where the genesis of Legolas and Gimli's trip comes from. That word has gotten to Minas Tirith from somewhere, and now they, they will... That's what calls them back to Mirkwood. I don't think it's an accident anymore. Okay. So at this time, when the Fellowship breaks, they're going to stay with the Hobbits and Aragorn and Boromir? Because how is the Fellowship breaking if they're all going to Ministereth? Legolas and Gimli break off, and then the when they get to Ministereth, Boromir breaks off. Okay, because you said Legolas and Gimli get more information in Minister if they'll make them go back to Mirkwood. Yeah, I did say that. Hang on, let me see. <laughs> I love this game. Yeah, I, I have no idea. I and, and there's got to be a genesis for them to leave. And it's either like another creature or that they have to defeat or it's so, – so I, I don't know. I, I don't know what causes them. But I do – I am pretty convinced of the way that they're going to break up. So but I, I have no idea. All right. So in this chapter, for reasons, Legolas and Gimli are going to split from the company. It will be acrimonious. It'll be all good. We've got to go do this. And the company goes, no, fair enough. Off you go. Aragorn and Boromir will decide that they're going to keep headed, heading for Gondor and Ministereth and take the hobbits with them. Yes. Okay. Let's see how this goes. I cannot wait to finish this book. Oh, my gravy. We're so close. Homework for next week is The Breaking of the Fellowship. Thanks for joining us. If you want to find us on social media, we are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Podmoot. 
our email address is podmood at gmail.com and our website is podmood.com. If you'd like to contact me personally, I'm at Mel Bickett on Twitter and Instagram. Kristen, where can people find you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at Kristen Conducts. Norvera Mellon, until we meet again. Bye, y'all.